Blessed is the kingdom of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, both now and forever. Amen. Our sermon text is Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. One of the first things we learn to say as children is, it's not fair. It's almost like we're born with an innate sense of fairness. I've never seen a parent teaching their children what's fair and what isn't by giving one child an extra scoop of ice cream and leaving the other without. But we never fully grow out of it. We carry this fairness measuring stick with us into adulthood. We might not have the same childish outbursts like we used to, but we certainly do feel it. As adults, we've all experienced situations where people who, in our not-so-humble opinion, neither earned nor deserved what they got. We often feel like our job isn't fair, our boss isn't fair, rules aren't fair, taxes aren't fair. Your cashier who forgot to scan your 50-cent coupon at Kroger last week, that isn't fair. After a little reflection, I'm sure that you'll see that we assess fairness in terms of what seems fair not only to us, but also for us. Our understanding of fairness is very egocentric. We measure fairness by what we want, need, hope for, or expect, and usually without regard for the needs of others. But God's grace isn't fair, and that's good news for us. God's pay scale isn't our pay scale. Jesus isn't trying to teach us about good vineyard management. He's teaching us about the kingdom. He's giving us a new gospel perspective, and that is the heart of what our parable this morning is getting at. But in order to understand this parable, it is absolutely necessary to remind ourselves of the circumstances which led our Lord to speak this parable in the first place. And for that, we must look back into chapter 19, beginning at verse 16. The rich young ruler wanted to know the way to heaven. He thought that he was on track. He thought the, that he had done everything necessary to achieve a righteous standing before God. He says to Jesus, Jesus, I've kept the whole law. What am I lacking? So Jesus tells him that he must sell all that he has and give the proceeds to the poor. But that price was too high for the young man to pay, and he went away sorrowful. Jesus then explained how hard it is for the rich to enter heaven. The Jews considered wealth to be a sign of both personal righteousness and God's favor, while poverty, on the other hand, was God's punishment for sin. The young man believed that he had kept the whole law and thus merited God's favor. But Jesus turns the young ruler's question around on him and shows him where he has broken the law. For the young ruler, the problem wasn't his wealth, it was his trust in his wealth. The disciples of Jesus were shocked at Jesus' response. So after the young man leaves, Peter turns to Jesus and says, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? After some discussion, Jesus says in verse 30, Many who are first will be last, and the last first. Before us this morning is the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Jesus often uses parables to illustrate various aspects of the kingdom of heaven. He talks about the value of the kingdom of heaven in Matthew chapter 13. He says, it is like a treasure hidden in a field. He talks about how the kingdom grows in Mark chapter 4. The kingdom of God as if a man would, should scatter seed on the ground. 
And here he tells us how God graciously brings his saints into the kingdom. Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who hired laborers for his vineyard. The landowners went into the marketplaces in the early hours of the morning and hired his first group of workers. Throughout the day, he would go back into the marketplace four more times to call those idle workers into his vineyard. The landowner agreed to pay the first group of laborers a denarius for the day's work. In those days, a denarius was considered to be a full day's wage, so it was certainly a coin of high value. In the ancient world, one denarius could buy enough barley to feed three people for a day. It was a generous wage for common workers. At the third hour, the landowner returned to the marketplace and found another group of workers standing idle. He called to them and told them to go into his vineyard, and whatever is right, that he would pay them. Two more times, at the sixth and ninth hour, the landowner would return to the marketplace and offer to pay whatever is right. Finally, at the eleventh hour, the landowner returned again to the marketplace and found another group of workers standing idly. He asked, Why have you been standing here idle all day long? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. So the landowner called them into his vineyard, but without the promise of pay. When the evening had finally come, the landowner told his foreman to pay every worker beginning with those who had been hired last. So the last group went forward and received a full denarius for their hour of work. The landowner did not promise them a denarius, but generously gave them a full day's wage. All was well until the group hired in the morning stepped up to the foreman to be paid. Considering that those who only worked an hour in the evening were paid the full wage, surely those who had worked all day long would receive more. Perhaps as they waited in line, they were calculating in their heads just how much more money they would be taking home at the end of the day than what was originally agreed upon. But when it came time to be paid, they too received a denarius, and they became angry, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. And the landowner replied, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go, but I wish to give this last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? We can certainly sympathize with the first group of workers who were grumbling about what they thought was an unfair employer. To be honest, if we were in their situation, we'd be thinking the exact same thing. We'd expect a fair wage based on the hours worked. But here's the thing. The vineyard owner wasn't being unfair. He was being generous. Those who had worked the whole day were angry, not because some great injustice had been committed against them. After all, the owner of the vineyard did not wrong them. He paid them in full. They were mad because others had been treated generously. What sort of lens do you view the world through? I don't wear glasses, though I probably should. I used to as a kid, but I stubbornly decided that I didn't like them, and I didn't like wearing contact lenses either, so I just went without. 
Now, my vision is pretty good, but sometimes, especially when my eyes are tired, reading can be a little fuzzy. But glasses are helpful because they change how we view things. When you get up in the morning, do you put on lenses of fairness? Do you go through life assessing what you deserve or what you think you deserve? Do you only see other people's achievements or failures? Are you always sizing yourself up, thinking that you're owed something by your friends or family, or even by God himself? The problem is that we sometimes live more under the law than under grace. We do our own share of grumbling about others receiving more than us. But there's another way to go through life. Instead of seeing the world through lenses of fairness, we can take those off and view the world through the lens of grace. Have you ever met someone who, after asking them how they're doing, their standard response is always, I'm doing better than I deserve. This life is filled with hardships. We have good days and we have bad days. And sometimes the good days are exceptionally good and sometimes the bad days are exceptionally bad. But we know that even in the darkest hours behind this veil of tears, God is somehow and in some way using it for good. If we look at the world through the lens of grace, we can see that God has been abundantly gracious to us in all areas of our lives, and we can see and be joyful at God's hand of grace working in the lives of others as well. If we go through life with the lens of fairness, we'll always have a chip on our shoulder. We'll always feel like we're in last place when what we really deserve is to be in first place. But if we take those lenses off and view the world through the lens of grace, we'll know the joy of having been placed first, even though we deserve last. God's grace isn't fair. Do we really want God in the business of being fair? If God dealt to us the hand that we truly deserve, then that would mean our eternal condemnation. If God treated you fairly, then he would judge you according to his holy law, and his holy law doesn't compare you with other people, it compares you with God. Instead of being prideful, we should pray for humility. Humility looks outward, not inward. It doesn't seek after a payment based on merit, instead it hopes for mercy and grace. Our text this morning cuts to the heart of our human pride. It leaves our self-righteousness no room to boast. We often look at the many blessings that God has given others while we fail to see the abundance of grace that God has given to us in our own lives. Just a few verses earlier, Jesus tells his disciples that whatever we lose in this life, he will give it back to us a hundredfold, and then there's eternal life on top of that. The problem with pride is that even when you think you get what you deserve, you're still angry because someone else is getting the same good things that you're getting. This is what Jesus means when he says, the last will be first and the first will be last. The last will be first because they know they are last and the first will be last because they think they are first. The reality is that God is generous to all his children not because of anything they have earned for themselves, but because of Christ's death on the cross. Grace manifests itself in its fullness on the cross, where Christ died a death for us, a death that we deserved. 
When we deserve to be left in our death and despair, Christ secured salvation for us on our behalf. He followed the letter of the law that we could not. He died a death meant for us, and in exchange, he gives us eternal life with him. God exercises his free, sovereign, and unconditional grace to individuals as he calls us into his kingdom. God is the one who takes the initiative. You didn't find Christ. He found you. Like the vineyard owner who returned again and again throughout the day, seeking after workers for his vineyard, Christ found you standing in the marketplace in the idleness of your sin, and he called you by his grace into the kingdom. He pulls you out of your sin and shame and to the font where the old Adam is drowned beneath the flood of holy baptism. He places you in his church where his word is in your ears and where he feeds you heavenly food for the labors ahead. He richly and daily cares for you in this life. He guards and protects you from all evil. He gives you clothing and shoes, food and drink, house and home, wife and children, land, animals, and all that you have. Not only does he bless you a hundredfold on this side of heaven, but he has also promised you eternal life. When God calls us to rest from our labors in the vineyard, we too will receive the denarius of eternal life. That goodness of God is the same whether you are first or last, whether you're a chief apostle like St. Paul, or whether you're the crucified thief that's been called into the vineyard at the eleventh hour. Isn't it wonderful that even those of us who worked only one hour also receive a denarius? All this God gives us by his grace. Our text this morning invites us to view the world through the lens of grace. Let us pay no regard to the denarius, but instead let us rejoice at the generosity of the vineyard owner. Amen. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.